Hi, I'm Kamalini Roy, a growth acceleration coach for entrepreneurs. I'm on a mission to help thousands of entrepreneurs achieve their most ambitious goal, create massive wealth, but more importantly, live a life of fulfillment. Welcome to my successful entrepreneurs podcast. This podcast will bring to you many simple success stories, success tips from successful entrepreneurs. And here we will discuss ways to become successful, which you as an entrepreneur and as a leader can implement quite easily. And if this is what you would like to hear to make your business profitable through simple ways, then go ahead and subscribe to this podcast so that you can stay tuned in for all the success talks given by successful entrepreneurs. And please do remember to bring your journal and pen to take down notes. I promise you, there will be lots and lots of notes to take. So here we go. Let's start. I'm delighted to present my mentor and guide for 20 years, Naval Bir Kumar. Naval is an alumnus of the IIM Kolkata and has helmed the businesses of Standard Chartered Mutual Fund and IDFC Mutual Fund as the CEO and Managing Director. He has also helmed the consumer banking business of IDFC First Bank. Currently, Naval is an independent director with the India Ratings and Research, a Fitch Group company. He also follows his passion of investing in and helping startup scale. Naval, I have particularly invited you for my chat show because you have built a business and I was one of the fortunate members in your team in my early 20s who learned so much from you. You built a business by creating a winning team, which ultimately sold at 40 times at less than, in less than eight years. And this entire conversation novel is for entrepreneurs to understand that for wealth creation of the company, it's very, very important to invest in the team. And we saw that throughout our journey with you as the CEO and the leader of our company on how you kept on and on investing in the team. And even when the company created wealth at the end, you ensured that every team member also created wealth. And this is the journey I wanted to talk about uh, for the benefit of founders and entrepreneurs. And the first question that I wanted to ask you, Naval, is you very clearly defined and created a value system and a culture for the team right from the beginning. What was that culture that you intentionally created and how did you create that culture? Okay. So, yeah, thank you, Koma. Thank you for inviting me uh, to share my views uh, with you and whoever else uh, ends up listening to this uh, podcast. Uh, I think I enjoyed... Uh, building Standard Chartered Mutual Fund and IDFC Mutual Fund as much as uh, all of you all did. And I thoroughly enjoyed working with people. I wasn't a people's person. So for the previous 10 years of my life, I used to be an investment banker, uh, which is as far away as a people's person as you can get because you're really not managing large teams and the whole culture there is vastly different. When I was asked to set up the mutual fund business by Grindley's, it was a young industry. The total asset size of the entire industry was 80,000 crores. 
And now when you look back, uh, a business that we started is twice the, uh, nearly one and a half times the size of what the industry was, you know, when we started it. And the largest firm in this business is nearly four times what the industry was. So it was a very young business uh, industry. And, and we were one of the earliest uh, people to get into that industry. So I realized that this is, there are two aspects of this business. One, this business required no capital. It required no assets. The only thing that would make it successful were people. You needed great quality fund managers. You want, you needed great quality salespeople and you needed great quality operations because the business had no other, its, its largest cost base was, was salary costs. Everything else was a much smaller cost, you know, so it's, it's not a asset heavy business like a steel company or a cement company, uh, which has large amounts of assets. It's not like that. It's not an FMCG company that's trying to create a brand and spends inordinate amount of money on brand building through TV ads, et cetera. It doesn't, we don't do all that. And uh, the second aspect was that these three entities within the business had to work exceedingly closely with each other. They, you couldn't have them operating in divisions. If you did, your, the, business, the people wouldn't hum. They wouldn't talk and walk and operate as one voice with one objective, with one mission. You would have silos building up in an organization. So it was a people uh, sense, people intensive business. It was very people uh, determined for success. And you needed the three aspects of the business to work uh, very seamlessly. So to start, so you had to have a very friendly culture in the organization. But you were at a at the other end. You were also at a very young industry. The industry was growing very rapidly, so you did not want to have absolute control on the people. And we term we we followed a phrase which is called uh, controlled chaos. We wanted there to be controlled chaos in the organization. We wanted people to be innovative. We wanted people to uh, follow their uh, follow their ideas. So if the ideas did not succeed, we wanted them to rethink the idea and come up with a better idea. We wanted good ideas that succeeded to be shared across the team. We didn't want a Calcutta salesperson to be competing with a Bombay salesperson. There was no logic for that. We actually wanted, if Calcutta did something, uh, you know, which was very successful, we wanted the entire country to pick that up and run with it. We wanted a culture that promoted that level of uh, cooperation and coordination within the team. But we, and we, because the market was changing rapidly, we were at a very young industry and was growing fast. You wanted your frontline people to be thinking for you. You did not want a top-down culture uh, to a large extent, but you wanted them to understand the brand and the ethics uh, philosophy that you had so that they worked within those parameters. So these were your requirements. So we did this one through, you know, the, uh, the way we inducted people when they joined us. Second is for nearly four years of our life, or nearly more than that, I would say nearly five to six years of our life, we had quarterly offsites, which is unheard of in a business because we were a very small team and I could afford it. It didn't, you know, when you look back and you say that, yeah, it was not, a, I remember when we hit the first 500 crores of AUM and we cut that cake, the entire company had 13 employees. So the cost to get 13 employees together and then 30 employees together. And by the time we sold the business from Standard Charter to IDFC, there were 60 employees in the business. So to get them together frequently was not expensive. 
and given that these were the people who were going to make a big difference uh, in 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 whether you succeeded or not, you needed them to work effort you know efficiently with each other. So the offsites were designed to create uh, very high levels of uh, uh, you know friendliness, high levels of team working, team sharing. Uh, we used to have activities where we used to tell all the salespeople go into a huddle and come back with three things that you need from the investment team and come back with three teams that you, three things that you need from the ops team if they deliver that to you it would make you far more successful in the marketplace we used to tell the investments team to do the same for sales and operations and the operations team and then they would come and talk it through and they would explain why they wanted what they were asking for and there would be a debate on it and you would say okay and you couldn't come up with a dhobi list of 20 items you came up with a list of only three items right uh, and based on that if uh, at the debate it was found that yes those three things could be actioned by the other part of the business and they understood why you wanted it they were sensitive sensitized to why you were asking for it and why you would be successful uh, they suddenly you know you, they said yes we can do this so, uh, and thereafter, the next quarterly meeting, we reviewed what happened. Was it successful? Did we do we need to make changes? Have we done something that we shouldn't be doing, etc.? Now, to get people to work seamlessly, you also needed a little bit of a socialist culture, not a complete socialist culture. So, bonuses and bonuses needed to be not as uh, pyramidical as they exist in other mutual funds. So, while the investments team got much larger bonuses than others, but it wasn't disproportionate as disproportionate as other fund houses, right? So our ops and customer service teams compared to other fund houses actually earned much higher levels of revenue and so did our salespeople. So that sort of made everybody feel engaged. The whole reason for running a business and building a culture, which is why, you know, whenever we did a Gallup survey within the Standard Chartered Bank network, the mutual fund business would always rank by far number one in the Gallup survey and especially on you know on uh, items like do you have a best friend in office at the workplace uh, we would be far better than anybody else because a lot of people working in the mutual fund in our mutual fund business had their best friends working along with them and a lot of them even uh, though departed in 2008 it's 13 years back they still keep in touch with each other very often and they know what's happening in each other's families, etc. So, you know, the, there was a logic and a reason to uh, drive that behavior. Also, because mutual fund was not an intrinsic part of the standard chartered business, and we were the only mutual fund that they had, we weren't very heavily capitalized, or we weren't uh, very, you know, we, we didn't have the same level of expenditure to grow the business. So we were very focused. So that was another thing that we needed to drill down to people that, yes, you are important. We, we'll put a large part of a cost base to you to make sure that you get the benefits of uh, the effort that you're putting in. But be very focused. And we used to always say, uh, do you, is, it, is it something that is necessary to do or is it something good to have? So when you came up with the three ideas and you wanted to do that, we would rate it saying, is it necessary for our success or is it good to have? If it was good to have, it would get 
it, it would not get the same level of importance as things that were necessary to do to be truly successful. And we sort of debated as to wh what things were required. So we were able to also effectively uh, utilize the spending power that we had on things that were necessary. And what that also does is when the entire organization is just working on three ideas, they really pull those three ideas off. But if you give them like 15 ideas to work, you know, simultaneously, uh, none of them will truly be successful. So, you know, it's very important to maintain that focus. And that also then limits uh, how you spend your money and how you plan your ideas. People are far more focused. People, you know, objectives are much sharper. Uh, of people, they, everybody knows exactly what you have to do, you know, and there's no, conf there's no confusion around it. So there were a lot of things, you know, these are some of the ideas that we did uh, to to build and it, it, it was necessary for the business at that point of time, it was what was required. And it ended up building uh, possibly, a, you know, a very, very lovely working environment. Uh, in fact, it's been, it was at least my best uh, part of my working career, uh, uh, you know, subsequent and prior to that. Uh, and I think a lot of people who have worked in sanitary mutual fund have also said the same thing. It was a short eight year period, but you know, it's impact in a, in a 35, 40 year career that most people have that eight year period really stands out for nearly a lot of people who worked uh, there and they still have a lot of memories uh, from that period. Uh, so I guess uh, that's that's good, uh, but that was what the business required. Nagal, there were a few things you referred to, and I clearly remember uh, some of the things that you spoke about. One is controlled chaos, and the other is offsites. And I'm I'm going to dwell on this a little bit more because my next question is related to this. You pretty much ran the Standard Chartered mutual fund business like an entrepreneur under the brand umbrella of Standard Chartered. So we always knew Standard Chartered Bank were our partners. And we had the benefit of the brand, but at the end of the day, uh, we developed the business as if the business belonged to us. And you managed to inculcate that feeling of belonging amongst all the people in the team. The other thing that you also created is intrapreneurs within the team. And I remember how you used to give budgets to all the sales team members across the country and they were allowed to use that budget as they wished. They had a free hand and you also gave them the liberty to make mistakes on that budget. And if something worked well, um, there was a culture of ensuring that the best practice was shared amongst the full team so that other people could also adopt and adapt with the same uh, best practice. So this controlled chaos, I remember very well by developing entrepreneurs uh, within the team. The second thing I remember about the quarterly offsites is the strategic developments that used to take place out there. And uh, what was very clear is everyone came away from the offsites every quarter with deep clarity and understanding of what the company's goal was and what the um, individual's role and goal was in the team. And this leads me, and I feel that this is connected to my next question to a large uh, extent. Besides this, novel, what did you do to ensure that there was such a high level of retention? And you mentioned that it was a young industry. And all of us, including our bosses, were always aware of all the offers that people were getting within the uh, company from 
in uh, you know mutual funds outside because all the mutual funds were developing and mushrooming and they were all trying to pull people from standard chartered mutual fund but we had a retention of less than 2% now founders and entrepreneurs feel that salary is the only thing that attracts employees to a company and i deeply believe it's a myth especially after having worked with you from 2001 to 2011 can you throw some light on how you managed such a high level of retention till the company got sold in 2008 okay so we did have uh, very low attrition uh, rates in the mutual fund and all of us had you know innumerable offers that had came our way including me during the time when we worked in Santa Clara Mutual. Um, I think salary is uh, the total remuneration package that somebody earns is important. I think, but I think it's a hygiene factor. So it is not uh, a compelling factor that keeps people employed in the same organization because there's always somebody willing to pay a higher salary for a great uh, you know, performer. And that's always happening, right? So especially if you take high-end salespeople of, of fund managers, uh, somebody who is a five-star fund manager recognized by the marketplace, whatever you pay him, another mutual fund is always willing to buy him out at a slightly higher price simply because it turns around the, you know, the destiny of that mutual fund, having the staff fund manager come and join them. So it, hence, in a people-oriented business, uh, remuneration has to be hygiene. You cannot pay hugely under market, uh, but you have to pay up at least market levels. You don't have to pay premium to market levels. But I truly believe that what keeps people employed and engaged in an organization are two, three things. One is responsibility. They should have clear responsibility. There should be no confusion. They should own the part of the business that they operate in. And that can only happen if they are allowed to make decisions for that business, correct? And they're sensible enough to do course corrections if the decisions are not found to be correct. So there is a culture that promotes uh, ownership of micro ownership of the business, uh, but in a very, very healthy manner. Uh, the second thing is you, you must respect the people you work with. So your peer group should be of a similar quality as you, and you must enjoy working with them. And you, so hence picking people into the team becomes very important. The third is you must get a chance to grow. There must be growth within the organization for everybody. So we did a few things, right? So we were very careful when we, when we, we were hiring people, we had a very strong induction program. And if we thought we had made the wrong decision, we made that change very, very rapidly. Um, second is we never, prom uh, if there was a, a slot that got vacant or the business grew and there was a new position, like say East didn't exist and we started East and we needed an East head. We won't hire somebody from outside, but we would send somebody from within our team to head that. So all senior positions are filled by people from within. Always. We never very, very rarely would we hire from the market. We took, we took you know, people always wonder whether you can do the job, but my belief has always been until you don't give somebody responsibility, you'll never know whether they can do the job or not. And not necessarily will everybody be able to do the job on day one. There are people who will be able to take on it and do it very quickly. There are others who will take longer. 
as long as they have the right attitude in life, the right work ethics. So I should look for only three things in people. I should look for intelligence. I should look for attitude. And I would look for the ability to work hard. If the person didn't have any of these three, then I, I, these are not things that I could inculcate in anybody. Domain knowledge is something that is very easy to impart. But somebody's got bad attitude, got bad attitude. Somebody's a shirker is a shirker, right? So you can't do anything about that. So you wanted people who came with the right attitude. Second, we would never hire expensive people from the marketplace. So if somebody was not fitting into our price band, we would not hire that person, right? So we as we ensured price parity. So there was my belief is you know how much ever you tell people that remuneration is confidential, everybody gets to know everybody's remuneration. It is it is just amazing. You know how quickly everybody gets to know everybody's remuneration. So you had to ensure that people knew it. So that when they found out, they, so a new guy joining did not feel shortchanged. So if a new person was joining us and at his current organization, he was underpaid compared to us or for whatever reasons we were getting him at a higher level, we would bring him in. We would, you know, like most organizations say, let's give him a 10% or a 15% hike. Uh, we would bring him in at uh, a 50% hike if required or her in. Whereas if somebody was already uh, paid to the same level, we would try to convince him to come in at no high care. We said, we can't afford it. And you will figure it out when you join us. So we would say, you come in at no hike. Then there was no standard key. If some, this fellow has to come in at this person, and you know, which normal organizations do. So we wanted that parity. We wanted people to enjoy working with each other, to respect each other. We wanted them to own the businesses that they that they ran and have that sense of responsibility. We have, I've already talked about the effort we put in to build that culture of, uh, you know, of coordination and cooperation in, in the organization, which I think worked brilliantly. Uh, and lack, we should keep telling people have an external ego, but have no internal ego. So, you know, don't, you can, don't, you can compete outside, but don't compete inside. In fact, uh, if you running Calcutta help the people running in Bombay because you have got a great idea and the people running Bombay and then the people running Delhi and various other places, North, South, all end up doing vastly better. Then the organization does better and the bonus pool for everybody goes up. It's as simple as that. So, you know, if you keep the best ideas to yourself, you may be five star rated, but the bonus pool will be so much smaller that uh, you will get a smaller you'll you'll end up with a smaller income at the end of the year so that is another message that everybody understood so they realized that there's no in, there's no internal competition the the only objective internally we had was to make the business as successful and to grow the so called remuneration pie for everybody and that could only happen through cooperation and coordination there was no need to compete internally correct you were much better competing externally so you put all your efforts externally so you had no politics internally and we tried very hard to ensure that there was absolutely no politics internally so you could never come and talk to me about your boss you know or talk to you talk to somebody over we didn't sort of encourage that sort of behavior but we got the message if somebody was not performing well and we or somebody's attitude was not right and we sort of corrected that but we did not make people insecure i think it's very important to make people secure we tried to make everybody as secure as we could in what they were doing and very empowered. And I believe if you build a culture like that, people enjoy working in that culture. They're not going to leave for, you know, a 20% hike or a 10% hike. Right. 
and when people leave and the feedback comes back that you know oh gosh this is a horrible place to work compared to what it was then other people also think many times so we the only time we sort of people left was you know uh, if you have as an organization grows if you have multiple people doing well you may not have a role to promote all of them so some people for their personal growth need to move out right so uh, while they know they'll get the promotion at some stage but they don't know whether it'll take a year two years or three years depending on what becomes available so at that point of time if people were leaving um, i would encourage it i would not hold people back in fact i uh, very often people would come and ask me for advice should i leave or not and because i was known to give very honest advice i was if i it was good for you to leave i would say i think it makes sense for you to leave and if it didn't i would tell you why it didn't it was your decision at the end of the day so and people knew that if they had that conversation with me and didn't leave i wouldn't sort of go out and you know penalize them thinking in my mind thinking that these are flighty people and they may leave tomorrow and should i be investing in them yeah. it's it's a it's you know it's it's a crossroads everybody comes to they need to have a conversation and they move on from that conversation it doesn't mean that you know 6 months later the fellow is going to start wanting to leave again you know that's that's not how it happens so we trusted each other and i worked on that principle so i'll trust you till you prove me till you till you do something that proves it wrong but i will go i will not be skeptical in my attitude with people i will not be suspicious with my attitude with people so there i think takes a lot to uh, build culture but i think uh, the internal environment for working is the most important thing that keeps people together it right. is the but the pay has to be hygiene level right. uh, so novel what uh, what i clearly gathered is the process starts from how you're hiring and when you hire you did mention very clearly that you're not really looking as much at competency levels because that can be developed as you are looking at attitude and behavior so intelligence attitude and uh, the spirit of hard yes these are the three you always looked at before hiring and uh, then you gave you ensured that you created a culture of trust and empowerment ownership and responsibility mm-hmm. accountability and i remember the trust factor was so high that we could have arguments with our bosses but be secure that we would not be penalized for that and every subordinate has had an experience where they've had a showdown or a match shouting match of disagreement with their bosses and at the end of the day you all are all friends professionally again and personally i remember that environment very clearly and i also want to validate what you said about uh, you know giving honest feedback because i remember I had a feeling that the management seemed to understand the people below much more than they understood themselves. I remember the then head of IDFC had asked me to move to HR and I'd come to you I don't know whether you remember remember this and I said you know now I've done enough in the mutual fund it would be nice to move to a new new role and I'd like to shift to HR and you just said but you don't have a personality for HR you have a personality for sales you're an outgoing person you like interacting with people I have no idea novel whether you remember this but because I trusted your understanding of my personality much more than what i trusted my understanding of my personality to be though i really wanted to shift to a new role a new you know a new environment after having been with the bank for you know uh, the mutual fund for 9 years i trusted what you said and i said no and i stayed on 
at the mutual fund. So I do remember this entire feeling of trust that existed with uh, your, with you and as well as with our respective uh, senior bosses and seniors and the team members. Now, well, um, this can I, can I interject one before you answer? There's one very important point you made. You know about people having disagreements in office. So we used to have this uh, statement that, you know, at appraisal time, don't come back and tell me I couldn't achieve this or that because I was dependent on this or that person and they did not deliver. Yeah. Correct. You've got ownership of your business. So go out and make sure what you need to be successful gets delivered to you. Yeah. So if that means you have to, it gets a little heated, so be it. Keep the discussion professional yeah. and take the other person out for a drink or a cup of coffee after that. So it doesn't become personal. Yes. And frankly, because we also worked on a principle that everybody had a profit target. If you think it through, nearly anybody in the organization has can be given a profit target. And yes. that really motivates people. That makes them feel important. That makes them feel engaged. Then they can also go out and say, you know, I increased profits by 15% today which is, you know, which feels very good. So, uh, you know, organizations, I, I, I don't like the saying between, and the second thing is I also had the saying of the dog and the tail. So uh, I always said 70% of your organization should be customer facing and 30% should be so-called cust customer service and operations and compliance. And especially when you take, if I take salary, then 80, 85% of the salary should go to people who are front facing and uh, 15 to 20% to others. And the numbers should be like that because a lot of organizations get that wrong and their backends are actually stronger. And then the tail wags the dog rather than the dog wagging the tail. Right. Correct. Yeah. So, which is, which is not productive. So the dog needs to wag the tail. And it's very important you build those metrics in to make sure that the dog is wagging the tail, but the tail feels very empowered and very engaged. Yeah. And as, as much a part of the body as, because they're driving uh, profitability as anybody else in the organization. Yeah. Now, well, um, you are helping a lot of startups scale. You are an investor. You are a board member in startups. And uh, what I wanted to ask you is, the world has changed in the past 20 years and today there are many, many more startups. Lots of youngsters are now looking at entrepreneurship. The market has opened up for that. And I'm gonna now shift the conversation completely to help my startup listeners with your uh, golden nuggets. What are the kind of maybe three common challenges that you're seeing across startups today? What would be your advice to them to overcome these challenges? And secondly, how can a startup build a high performance team right from the beginning? Okay. So common issues that people run up with uh, is uh, they don't plan their capital allocations well, and they don't plan their capital spends well. And uh, they run out of capital without achieving significant uh, metrics to be able to attract fresh capital in. And then they start to grapple. And uh, then they have to sort of cut team sizes down to cut costs, et cetera. And they're already on a slippery path downhill. You know, once they start doing that, it's very hard. I don't see anybody recovering from there. So uh, my 
one of the advices I give people is you must have a capital trajectory plan. So if you are somebody as a business that will burn capital for, for a certain sustained period of time, you must know two or three metrics that define success for your business that investors will see as success in your business. And you must understand what those two, three metrics are and you must be highly focused and you must know how those metrics need to move to allow you to do the second round of fundraising so that, and you must start your second round of fundraising well in time uh, when you still have sufficient capital in the first round uh, to, to be able to take a course correction if you need to, right? And if, and if you can go past those three or four rounds and you're looked at successfully, I, I think then, then you will sustain, correct? So one of the challenges is managing capital. Uh, can you share two other challenges and how to overcome them? And finally, how can the startup build a high performance team uh, right from the beginning? So I, you know, I've always said that um, strategy and the idea uh, is actually 5% uh, of what makes you successful, 95% is execution. Um, and that's another area where I see a lot of startups falter. So a lot of founders come together. Um, and that brings me to a third area, which I will. Uh, a lot of founders come together. They have this, uh, you know, interesting insight into markets and an interesting idea and a market opportunity. Uh, which they think makes sense and they want to pursue. So till that level, it's all fine. Then they go out, they're able to pitch the idea, they're able to get some capital, they're able to do that initial work that makes the idea, you know, get off the page and into the business world. But thereafter, a lot of them have very pure, poor execution capabilities. At the end of their biz real businesses, succeed because of execution. And my classic example is Aditya Puri of HDFC Bank. That person, you know, has, is the longest serving CEO of a bank in India. And even after, you know, just before he retired, he knew what was happening in his bank to the T. He was a detailed oriented person. He was not somebody who operated at 40,000 feet of strategy. He operated at a very high level of detail. And for him, that is what made business successful. And you have to have that level of detailing and execution capability, people management skills to be successful. And if you as a founder do not have that, um, then you need to bring in management that has that, or you need to give execution control to people that you have hired who have that skill set. You may have had the idea, you may have brought that idea uh, to the table. You may have been able to pitch that idea and hence get money for that idea. So you have the ability to tell a story, the ability to uh, you know, bring investors in, but you may not have the ability to run a business to be able to execute. For that, you need very high level of detailing, execution skills, people management skills, and a lot of founders don't have that. The second is, the third thing is why, where I find founders struggling a bit is, uh, uh, you know, three, four of them, sometimes two of them come together. 
So at the planning stage, it is like a marriage. You know, the initial phase is like a honeymoon, right? And we all know what what marriages go through after the honeymoon period is over. So, uh, you know, so after that, it is work. You got to work on the relationship. You got to work on on managing that working relationship, and you have to get that. I find a lot of founders are not able to do. They're not able to talk directly with each other. They're not able to call a spade a spade within that group of themselves, but they're afraid of hurting each other. So I always believe everybody comes with complementarity of skill sets, and it's very important people come with complementarity of skill sets. And you should sort of very quickly identify the different skill sets the different founders bring, and align tasks accordingly. So somebody who's just an abrasive personality, not easy to get along with, but great creative mind, give them a creative job. Don't give them a job running a sales team yeah. or running a, you know, in, as a founder, let the other founder take that role. So, you know, go, play to your strengths. I find that a lot of founders and then, you know, that that's when the problem starts. So the third reason why businesses fail is, uh, is the founders don't get along. And then, you know, there's a problem that happens thereafter. Thank you, Navan. And uh, the podcast lasted longer than um, I wanted it to, but I know you have so much to share. I've been through that entire journey with you and the entire uh, basis on how you created such a beautiful, uh, happy memory team and such a massive business. Um, I didn't want to cut short the conversation. So thank you very much for coming on my chat show. My pleasure. Thank you and wish you all and all the listeners all the success um, in their respective journeys. So thank you for having me here. If you would like to be a successful entrepreneur, then I would like to invite you to join my community. Contact me through my website under the name of Kamalini Roy. That is K-A-M-A-L-I-N-I-R-O-Y dot com. Kamalini Roy. I will repeat that for you. K-A-M-A-L-I-N-I-R-O-Y dot com. You can also choose to continue learning for free through all the valuable content I put out in my YouTube channel under my name, Kamalini Roy. If you have enjoyed my podcast, please do put out a review on Apple Podcast. I look forward to personally reading your comments and reviews. I would also like to invite you to share your questions and challenges with me so that I can address them and help you with solutions through my podcast and YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to Successful Entrepreneurs Podcast by Kamalini Roy. Just hit that subscribe button and see you at my next episode.